Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, true believers, to this week's episode of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me across the continent is my best friend and fellow webhead, Aaron. But in the same universe. So yes. we have that Always going important. for us. Yes. It's so important that if you're going to podcast successfully, you need to be in the same universe, which we are. So it's Unless great. you have some of those cool spots, in which case maybe you can make it work. I, I, those spots take a lot of training. I mean, that, that seems like <laughs> a high level of, of control to control those spots. So I, I'm definitely green when it would come to that. And I just wouldn't be good at that. So anyway, well, this week we jump into the highly anticipated second entry of the Spider-Verse, one that's about five years in the making. Wow. I didn't even realize that until I typed that uh, this afternoon. So let's not dilly-dally. Let's not delay. Uh, This is your spoiler warning as we go deep into our conversation about Miles, Gwen, and pretty much every other spider entity that existed in this edition of the uh, the episode of Feeling Film, <laughs> as we cover Spider Verse Part One of Two, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> well, it's not called Across the Spider Verse Part One and Two. It, no, it's they're, not. They're all individually they, named, so it's Beyond the Spider Verse is the third movie. Is that what is that yeah, officially it's what it's been, called? Yeah, it's been announced a long time ago. It's, okay, it's called, I missed that. Yeah, it's called Beyond the Spider Verse. Okay, well, this is beyond having to title these because this is. <laughs> we'll get into that. Okay, all right. I wanted to start off by really kind of discussing something interesting that I took away from watching this. So my wife and son uh, are off for the summer, and we were all going to go see this this weekend, which is fun, you know, because my son was really looking forward to it. We found out that some friends of ours were going. Uh, at a particular time a day before. And so I was able to kind of move some meetings and stuff around. So we got to go to go with them. And so this was kind of fun. I got to experience not my own, not just my own reaction and my son's reaction or even my son and my wife's, but like four other people. All of us came away from this viewing, enjoying it, but all kind of saying the same thing. Starting out kind of slow. And I say that as someone who watched the previous entry the night before, and it was already just, it's an upbeat first entry so this movie had a longer lead time and I, i'm i'm okay admitting that it's set up quite a bit for sure and i do admit that for what it gave us it definitely felt a little bit more mature than into the spider-verse where into the spider-verse is very much like hey if you're a kid and you love spider-man this is the way to go get you introduced to miles morales got spider gwen and Peter B. Parker, and now we're getting into tonally something that's a little bit more okay. This is for your adult or more adulty audiences, but still got stuff for kids. And I found myself, Aaron, thinking, okay, when's the when's the quippy stuff going to happen? When are we going to get some action? When am I going to look over at my son, uh, who leaned over to my wife, who's sitting two seats over, and he goes, "Mom, I like the first one better, I think." <laughs> And I couldn't disagree with his reaction to it because in some ways this felt different than the first entry. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts from someone who I either, I think you went to go see this uh, from a critic's point of view, but uh, was that the general consensus of people walking out of that or, or what did you think? 
Yeah, I think everybody pretty much universally accepts and understands how different this is. So I saw today, and I did not know this until I saw this today, that this is the longest Western animated film ever. So the only longer ones have all been like anime films, um, Studio Ghibli and, and other anime versions of movies. So that was interesting. I thought that it was definitely more mature. That's one of the things I pointed out in my FF Plus review of this was, hey, listen, this is I, I said that it, it aged up. That's the way I put it. And I was actually a little nervous uh, because, you know, Carson's experience that you just described is exactly what I expected to happen because there just is a lot more space between the action pieces. And I think some might say, now I don't have any problems with this movie really at all. But for example, Don Shanahan, our buddy from every movie has a lesson. One of his biggest criticisms really is only one of the film was he thought that there were all these pieces that should have been tightened up. And I think this is where you're going to agree with him. He's like, the spot should have been shorter. Like the opening thing with Peter as the lizard should have been shorter. Like all of the the big set piece when Miles is running away from, you know, Miguel O'Hara and trying to escape or whatever. Like all of these things could have been tightened up and you could have cut 20 minutes from this, hit the two-hour mark, and kids would have been a lot more engaged because they wouldn't have lost. And so I think the expansion, like the length of the set pieces, because they were really long, but there was all this in-between stuff, I think that might have been trying to compensate for the fact that the younger audience is just going to tune out a little bit. It doesn't bother me at all. I love it because it was more mature, and I liked the lead time. I thought it was phenomenal. Because it really introduced Gwen as a true dual protagonist. And I was not expecting that. And I just love this version of Gwen that we have been getting. And I thought it was so cool to have nothing to do with Miles for a whole long time. And when you go into this movie, you are expecting that it's going to follow Miles. And for 20 minutes or whatever, the opening before the freaking title comes up, you don't get him. Yeah, it's a long, cold open, like really long. When the title card comes up, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that we didn't see this. I didn't realize that they were going to show it this uh, this this title card. And yeah, I do agree with Don. I think that there's a lot of stuff in here that could have been tightened up because to an extent, you have to make sure that you're balancing the length of your the lead time itself was tonally correct. It was tonally right. And I agree 100% with you with regard to Gwen's introduction as the second protagonist. I thought that was a great, great choice. Because Spider-Verse, the first entry, tells us that, yes, while Miles is the central figure, he is not the only Spider-Man. And it the t- the title was not into Miles Morales's Spider-Verse. It was into the Spider-Verse. It's a celebration of the Spider-Man character. And so it felt completely appropriate to give us Gwen's point of view and to give us her agency up front. What I think needs to be thought through for a movie like this is understanding your audience, that you don't have to lose what you and I appreciate, what I think Dawn appreciates, which is that lead time that that slow burn of getting up to the point of the movie, the bigger themes that were going on, 
but you can shorten the journey a little bit. You can tighten up some of that stuff because you get your point across pretty early in each of those different things. I know about Spot without having to give me more than I got. Um, I know about Gwen's trouble with her dad and the struggle she had in losing her best friend was impactful, but it could have been left with less of the stuff that made it sort of superfluous at that point for me. It wasn't bad. I enjoyed all of it. And I never looked at my watch and said, man, what is this? Are we going to get done with this pretty soon? I never felt like that. This didn't feel like, and I, and I use this very just tongue in cheek. It's not like a Michael Bayset piece where it just feels like it goes on and on and on and on and on. It felt like it was appropriate. It was just too long in terms of keeping my attention of like, okay, I got the point. Now let's let's move forward because we've got a lot to cover here, especially when we get to that first third of the story. We're like, okay, we're going to start tackling a bunch of different things here. So we need to start moving the story at a quicker pace because of the fact that your audience is going to comprise itself in general with a lot of kids. Was it successful in that? I think it was. And my son and his his buddy that went with them, they're the same age. They walked away enjoying it, but not as much as the first one and not for the reasons that I thought. They enjoyed it holistically, except for the ending. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But in terms of like getting to the point, in terms of like what they remember last, this is where I think um, this is where I think the the creative team succeeds is that what you remember last is what you were is what you see last is what you remember. They don't care about the fact that for the first hour we're basically in a drama. We're basically in an episode of Days of Our Lives where we're just sort of dealing with some of the <laughs> the ramifications of what it means to have a dad that doesn't like you or you know having a a mother and a father that don't understand you because you're 15 years old but you're an adult and you're not really an adult i mean all that stuff i get as an adult and can appreciate my 10 year old's not going to care about that what he's going to remember is what he experienced the last 15 or 20 minutes which i think is why the movie stays as solid as it does because the part that i believe they want you to remember is the part that leaves you going what? Oh my gosh, I'm ready to come back. And that was successful. For better or for worse, in the mind of a 10-year-old, <laughs> it was it was successful in that regard. And I think for me, if I watch it again, knowing kind of the slower burn, I can I can appreciate that more because I'm going to be looking for different things. And, you know, like anytime you do a second viewing of something that you kind of have a little bit more of a critical eye, you're going to appreciate it more because you don't have to have that sort of set of lenses. You're looking at it from like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy this instead of having to worry about how we're going to talk about this. So overall, I, I liked it as well. I'm, I'm obviously, yeah, I'm in the camp of, of Don that it could have been tightened up, but I don't think that anything was like unnecessary. I just felt like it was a little, little bit superfluous that sort of reinforced to an extent where I was like, okay, got it. Okay, let's move forward. Yeah, I, I can 100% see that. I, I mean, I prefer the first one by a hair. I mean, they are really 1A and 1B for me, but that is my separator is that the first one is to me a tighter experience, even though I enjoy that other more lengthy dramatic movie that across the spider verse gives us because of its characters, there's the whole set piece in, I don't remember what it's called now, but it's like a uh, moon, Moomba Hatton or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's Mumbai yeah. and something else. And <laughs> yeah, like for example, you know, he is a really interesting Spider-Man and we get this awesome, 
extra animated style because each universe has its own animated style, which is one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen and makes this movie truly one of the best animated films I've ever seen in my entire life because it is so varied and different and all of them look incredible. But like everything is culturally Indian. And of course, there's the hilarious chai tea joke over and over, which I I have been definitely guilty of saying myself. I thought that was funny, but that is a very long piece, right? And that is not a character that we are attaching ourselves to in the same way. Now, yes, we get his backstory, but it's not the same emotional connection that we have to a Peter and a Gwen. And for example, the difference being in the Into the Spider-Verse, that character, that version of Spider-Man was the Spider-Ham or the Noir Spider-Man. They were smaller, like bite-sized pieces that were there to kind of accentuate Miles and or Gwen and Peter Parker. Whereas here they get this, they get a little bit of a bigger spotlight and that kind of sprawls it out more. So I'm hoping that in hindsight, some of this length will pay off more. We'll talk about more of that too with the ending. But like, I think if, for example, this Mumbai Spider-Man, and I, I hate that I can't remember his name, uh, but I don't want to butcher it. <laughs> and I will if I try. But what if he becomes a big part of a team going forward and we get some really serious emotional stuff, then having that more time with him in this movie, I think will feel better in hindsight. But like right yeah. now, you know, I'm still in an into the Spider-Verse camp slightly as well. Well, I think, as you mentioned earlier, Gwen is the intended focal point to expand on in this movie. And it's appropriate because Miles is the focal point. We have him grow up a little bit. I think this movie takes place a year after the first one, even though it takes place five years after the original entry showed up on the big screen. But her focal point as a character, I think, is important because she anchors what is old in terms of first entry and new, what we get introduced as the second entry, Spider People, in order to create this team. This is what I thought was great about the very end is I was sort of mourning the loss of these other two characters, Spider-Ham, not so much, um, just because... Penny? You know, I'm yeah, Penny. Penny. No, not Penny. No, Spider-Ham. I, I didn't want... I mean, Penny I liked. Um, and also Noir Spider-Man, you know, Nicolas Cage's character. I, I wanted those characters to come back, and they did to an extent. You had Peter B. Parker, played by the great, uh, great Jake Johnson, <laughs> coming back with the baby. I thought was fantastic. And then she comes back. Uh, but then, you know, you have Spider, you know, Noir Spider-Man that doesn't show up until the very end. And I can't remember in that last sort of superhero shot if Spider-Ham is part of that, but I think he is. And I also think that there's a, you know, you've got Spider-Punk, which my wife attached to. I thought that was great. She's like, man, I'm, you know, I hope I see him again. <laughs> like That's that's surprising awesome. that you... He's great. Daniel Kaluuya um, gets to use his actual voice, not his British so awesome. voice. And, and it's and I so think, good. I think, yeah, and I think in terms of animation style, his is the most distinct of the style that is incorporated here. That sort of gruff, edgy, like attitude, the almost spray paint, like graffiti style makes perfect sense for him. And I remember him from the comics. Like I'm, I'm inclined to, I did this five years ago. I was like, man, I need to go back and read the Spider-Verse. This time I may actually just do this because I really want to see which Spider-Man get that kind of emphasis that's hard to do in a movie like this so i like that i like that the second entry anchored in on her 
not because her story was more important than everybody else's, but you needed to be able to essentially establish a spreading out of importance. And I like that while she was anchored as a second protagonist, it didn't take away from Miles' journey. So that was another surprising thing is that you have this rift in the middle of the movie where she's sort of reluctantly in one camp and he's in another. And it ends up being sort of by the end, you've got this like, okay, everybody's going after Miles for different reasons. Whereas he's now the, not victim, but he's the one that needs to be rescued, but he's got his own battles to fight. And so you have this successfully set up way of allowing multiple characters portraying Spider-Man to have moments on screen. This is the most difficult part about having an ensemble cast is how do you get the right amount of people and the right types of dialogue that would make those people feel important instead of just throwing like what I saw were at least a hundred different spider types of characters that I knew were not going to all get one line. So I like that we have two now between Miles and Gwen that push the story forward because they then can bring two or three others along that we're being introduced to, whether it's you know, Noir Spider-Man or Spider-Punk or Spider-Ham or um, even Spider-Man 2099. All those characters, I think it was almost like a test case. Like, okay, could we get Miles in a few? Cool. Let's expand that. Let's get, let's get Gwen as well. But at the same time, we get significance with her because she, her relationship with her dad, which plays right back in to a, the amazing Spider-Man, you know, she's got this tight relationship with Captain Stacy. And it's just, it's all great because it still maintains the, the, the mythology of what we understand the Spider-Man universe. And I think that that's another successful thing about this whole kind of animated franchise is that it celebrates and purposefully uses the history of the Spider, Spider-Man universe to tell an original story. I think we talked about that when we, uh, when we discussed this several years ago. But I think that that's so hard to do because how do you how do you tie these things in without feeling like you're throwing nostalgia at somebody, but making them also feel effective where it doesn't just feel like you're okay. Yeah, we just need to throw in, uh, you know, <laughs> Andrew Garfield. I mean, you get Tobey Maguire in here. I mean, you get Tom Holland. And no, you're doing it with purpose. And I think that that this movie does that effectively, uh, anchoring in with with her. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I it's a unique way to tell that story because you're flipping it on its head with Peter being the one who dies. And we knew that because she had told us in the first movie that she lost her Peter, but she didn't, or or, or she didn't maybe, I don't even remember if she said it was her Peter, but she said she, she lost, her, lost her best friend. So then we friend. find out that it's Peter and then he turns into a lizard. Like, and that was wild because I was not expecting that, right? For him to do the Kurt Connors thing and be the person that ends up trying to change themselves to become what she is essentially to feel value and worth. And, and then to have it all kind of flip on its head with captain Stacy seeing it and thinking that this spider person murdered his daughter's best friend <laughs> who was living with them, apparently along with aunt may, uh, it was just, is really, really interesting. And then the way that it kind of, compares to what miles is going through with his current situation you know he is really the more traditional spider-man route in this movie because he's he's got his powers and he's out there doing his thing being spider-man now because 
he's the only one and he's gone through his origin story. <laughs> and one of the things that stuck out to me was like, he's 15 and they make a point of like reminding us he's still a kid, not just like his college, like those, it's not a college. Like he's going to a prep school, but when they meet and talk about essays and stuff, it's not because he's about to go to college. I mean, that's just, I guess in my head what I had, but no, this is a young teen who can't even drive yet but he's trying to be Spider-Man and that is a different kind of vibe. I thought some of the best scenes were the or jokey scenes and quippy scenes were that great conversation with his dad where the whole, anytime he, anytime he talks to his dad and he tries to lower his voice, he's so good. It is yeah. just absolutely outstanding. And I love that. And then I thought that the way that they elevated his mom Rio's role in this as well, giving her kind of more agency and and really looking at his relationship with his mother versus his relationship with his dad. I don't know. I just thought both those two characters and their relationships with their parents and how you know Captain Stacy's a single father and there's all sorts of like difficulties each of them have gone through, but that will always be a connective tissue. And that it helps bring them together to the friendship that they have that goes beyond yeah. just the fact that they both got bit by a radioactive spider. Yeah. And I think that you mentioned when you mentioned Miles relationship with his parents being somewhat normal, I guess the life that he lives is more traditional Spider-Man that he's discovered. He's got his powers. He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Nothing's happening from an intergalactic point of view. But I like that Miles has a mother and a father, and I like that they're on full display here. That we have a Spider-Man that traditionally has not lost his parents, <laughs> that is not living with an adjacent family member whose husband has also died that causes him to become Spider-Man, that he has a stable family, that he has a strong mother and a strong father, and that she does come to the forefront. I think the the scene where she lets him go after Gwen because she understands him is so precious because i think he wants to express how grateful he is for his parents but he also wants them to know that just like any kid he's misunderstood and that's normal it's normal to be that kind of kid so to to balance that with being the, the great power and great responsibility and great maturity or great immaturity that goes with that is on full display here. And I, I think I totally agree. Like at one point when, when he's talking to his dad as Spider-Man and his dad's like, I just don't know what to do. He's like, uh, maybe you should just get off his stop riding. His, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> I I know, I was like, so is he going to say that? Oh my gosh. Don't say so that. Funny. Oh my gosh. But it reminds me, and I, and I say this sort of, you know, thinking about having a 10 year old next to me, the language was elevated a little bit. It wasn't like PG-13 or, you know, getting into dropping F-bombs or anything. But the language is a little bit saltier. You know, you had you know, your damn and hell and things like that. And some of it coming from Miles' mouth. And, I mean, I'm not going to shade I'm not gonna shade that from my son because it's just going to be a part of him growing up. But it definitely emphasizes the fact that Miles is not an innocent child anymore. He's not discovering his powers. He's taken that leap of faith that Peter B. Parker told him he had to take and now he's trying to express this idea of man i want to tell both of you who i am like this is who i am i am spider-man 
but I can't. And it's like, in some ways, as we grow up as young adults, there are parts of us that we want to be able to share with people that we trust. And because you're, you know, because there are parents, there's this block because of the fact that there are parents. And I think that expressed itself really well with him and his relationship with his folks. I like the fact that we haven't gotten the death. Well, you know, in this, in this instance, um, he never made captain, I think, or something like that. There's a, I can't remember how it all played out, but at one point his dad, in order to, you know, keep canon from, you know, in happening, you have to be, he has to become captain and that never took place. But it's, it, it does make a lot of sense when you compare him with Gwen, because they both have deep relationships with their parents that don't understand who they are and they're just coming at it from different angles. But you're right. That connective tissue does exist beyond just powers. It's, it's about their relationship. And I kind of don't want them to get together. I mean, I think that's being hinted at, but I think it'd be really cool to see them sort of have this intimate friendship that's built on more than just powers that doesn't have to go on the romantic side. I'm not opposed to it doing that. I mean, I think it'd be completely appropriate based off of there's this really, I love the scene where they're, upside down dude the animation the is just i i want like a poster of that that shot. that compo- that composition so is brilliant it's, because Her it's ponytails be- like hanging dangling up. yeah 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 and it's just but it looks it's normal like the the film depicts it as like yeah this is just them having a casual conversation and they're upside down <laughs> looking at the city but this is it's almost metaphorical like they're they're seeing the world differently because of who they are and also because for Gwen, that's not her universe, but I digress. So it's like there. But, Did you uh, yeah. have a favorite colored or favorite animation style? Was it Miles's? Was it, I'll take mine's Gwen's and that, and I just, I think that the pastel watercolor art style blew me away, especially in the conversation scene with her dad towards the end when mm, she comes back. Yes. It's very emotional. And it looks like the paint, it, it looks literally like the wall is crying. I don't know if there's a better way to describe it because That's the great way. paint is coming down. Um, and it's just, and it's just so striking. I tried to explain it in the FF plus and I'm sure people were like, huh? Cause there's no context for what I was trying to say, but it shifts the color contrast. It, it's always a pastel palette but at moments, her like arm bands on her, the arm pieces of her suit would look white. And then we would shift a perspective scene and then they would look red or pink or whatever because it would be offsetting colors to whatever the background kind of slightly changed to be. It was just, I don't know, it was just so creative and some of the best animation scenes I've ever seen. And I didn't know if you had a, a favorite that. I mean, I liked, I liked the Spider Punk style because again, I thought it, I thought it was appropriate to the attitude of his character but if you talk about scenes like universes of where these characters come from that scene right there stood out to me i was going to bring that up and it's because it personifies the moment i don't think any other scene personifies the moment based off of a particular spider-man characterization and so it makes sense having that feminine touch has you know the pastels make really great sense and the fact that they are crying, the fact that there's a somberness to it, it's it really does emphasize in a visual way the feeling in that moment. And I thought it was the most effective. But in terms of like actual styles, like I'm like, I'm going with Spider-Punk because, you know, 
he he beats up everyone he doesn't like the establishment you know it's just gonna I, I will say this this may have been the theater experience for me but there were times when i couldn't quite understand some of the dialogue the music and the the, the sound the mix did not seem to be really like on point at times i don't know if you experienced that it is a, it is a widespread problem i think and people have actually been asking the directors on Twitter, because they're very active on Twitter, the directors and the writers, if this was intentional, because I mean, I noticed it immediately in my film, in my screening, press screening, like especially right at the beginning, it was it was just narration specifically was very quiet. And I was like, is this are we supposed to be like in this? Are we trying to be very thoughtful like or something? Because it's not loud and bombastic. And everybody like Twitter is blown up with this. So it, I think it's an, it's a pro, I think it's a mix issue where even if it was on purpose, it's an issue because people have struggled to hear it and they need to yeah. fix it and bump it up, I think, because yeah. there, there were times when I struggled as well. Yeah, it's not like Dunkirk where it was intentionally supposed to be sort of muffled and vague and things like that. I mean, there were I, I Krisha leaned over to me and she said, what did he say? I was like, I don't know. I think he said something about killing someone. I'm not sure. But especially when it's in an accent you're not familiar with or that's yeah. very fast, like like Daniel Kaluuya's British accent. Those words are not super articulated when he's saying a sentence. They yeah. are. Blah, blah, blah. And if yeah. you don't hear the if it's not loud enough, you're definitely not going to catch it when there's so much going on. Yeah. Some of the things that that got introduced to us, uh, one was the introduction of the spot, the character that I really wasn't familiar with, made his debut in this film. I thought it was on point in terms of tonally, like he was like he comes across as what they call the villain of the of the week, that kind of thing, and in that he's like, "I'm your nemesis from a year ago," and we're like, "Okay, is this is this for for you know giggles?" And you know, I thought for the most part he was fun. I don't know if he necessarily. I think he adds a little bit of a C plot to this one, this entry, and then what's going to happen next. Um, as we got into more of what Miguel O'Hara introduces us to, I started sort of forgetting about Spot, the Spot. And it makes me wonder what kind of significance he's going to have in terms of the impact on the third entry. But for this one, I think he was serviceable. I think that he makes, he's, he's kind of fun. I honestly probably could have done without him, but I think that that would have, you would have to find a different way of introducing us to the multiverse, uh, a voluntary version of the multiverse or, uh, you know, a non-accidental. But what did you think of the spot? First of all, I think Jason Schwartzman's voice performance is incredible as the spot. Like, he just nailed it. I thought the characterization of the animation mixed with that voice performance was perfect. I, I was rolling the guy, especially the early part when he's like, when it is for giggles. I love that you said that word. I wanted to re-say it when, when it's clearly meant to be humorous when he's trying to rob that store and he doesn't know what he's doing and he's just kind of haphazardly bumbling around and then it gets to kind of escalating escalating to the point where eventually he's like what else am i supposed to do and i loved that line i think that's important because that's we get the backstory i didn't know this was a real character either I actually googled it when i got home i thought he was made up for the movie but he's not he's repurposed and twisted a little bit but it's very similar to the character's backstory in the comics and i thought like you that i forgot about him towards the he just becomes a plot driver a point to 
we've got to go fix this thing. It's out there. Uh, once we meet O'Hara and we're in Nueva York. But I thought that it's brilliant the way that they worked it in to where it truly is like Spider-Man's fault kind of thing. And it set up, it allowed for the setup of the reveal of the spider being from a different universe and the, and the fact that there's a cost to that and all that, like the way that they kind of trickled out that information I thought was brilliant. And that all comes from the spot. And so I, I did think that it probably went on a little bit too long with him. I think he will be a bigger deal as we move forward. But I also will say, I think that it's a great villain choice because of the way that he is animated as a villain. He gives you something incredibly unique to do with animation when you're doing the portal thing. And it's just, it's visually striking and you can't like take your eye. It's, it's captivating to watch all the different weird things coming in and out of portals and stuff. It keeps your attention. And so yeah. I thought that that stylistically was a good choice. Mm -hmm. I think so too. I, and I think that if there's, you know, any kind of like conclusion to his arc, it will be that he either disintegrates or he becomes an ally of the Spider-Man and they become weird friends across the Spider-Verse at some, at some level. Uh, I enjoyed him too, especially at the beginning. I thought that his fight with Spider-Man was really fantastic. In fact, I thought <laughs> when he, because he, he, you know, his his roommate knows that he's Spider-Man, and <laughs> he tells him, Genki, "Listen, Genki call. says I'm not the man of the chair, okay? Exactly. <laughs> I'm busy playing Spider-Man on my PS5. Did you notice exactly. that? That's so, <laughs> so great. Best product so placement great. ever. Because you know that's okay. what it is, but you don't care. Yeah, and it's yeah, it absolutely is fine. Um, the the bigger thing that I was really latching onto, which is what I think a lot of people were is uh is the introduction of Miguel O'Hara. Now, he was part of a teaser at the end of Into the Spider-Verse. Here's the thing though. That teaser for the digital release is different than the teaser for the theatrical release because I specifically looked uh, and I remember distinctly there being two different things. Now, Miguel O'Hara was part of it, but there is more of a narrative in the digital release that we have on Voodoo that my son and I watched on Thursday night. And I was like, this is weird. I know Miguel O'Hara is coming in, but this looks a little strange. Now, listeners, you can call me out and say, no, you're absolutely wrong, because I can't go back to the theater and see the original one from five years ago. But I, I, felt, I felt like I remember a different uh, teaser or a different stinger. But I loved, I was excited at the time, of knowing that Spider-Man 2099 was coming into this world, into this universe. And I, I absolutely fell in love with his character and all the things that he brought. Like he gives us the whole thing with the canon of all the Spider-Man. And I think it's such a great nod to the fact that the origin story is repeated over and over and over again. I'm like, we know what happens. We know that, somebody close to Peter Parker or somebody dies. And for the creators to actually write that in is like, this is these canon events matter for all these Spider-Men. They have to, ma this has to go through in order to keep the canon, in order to keep the universes from disintegrating. And when we find out that Miles screwed up the canon event <laughs> because the, the Indian Spider-Man 
like girlfriend's dad, the equivalent to Captain Stacy, yep, didn't die. Yep. That it somehow messed something up and they have to go fix it. I thought that was such a brilliant way to acknowledge the repetitive origin stories that we've gotten about Spider-Man and make them important. And then what it does is it vaults Miguel to a place of, we don't know him that well. We don't know him apart from the teaser and this. And we think that he's Spider-Man, so he must be good. He then sort of comes across as this Thanos character where he said, I tried to cheat the system, essentially. I essentially replaced my Miguel in this other universe because I lost my family and it totally jacked up everything. And I can't do that again. Which is literally, by the way, what Kingpin was doing, essentially. Yes. More or less in the first film, just throwing that out there. The villain. That's what he was trying to do. So in that moment, I'm asking the question, who's the bad guy here? And this is where the maturity of the movie sort of gets put a stamp on. Like, this is not your kid's movie. Is you start dealing with these heavier themes, not only of death, not only of the loss of important people in your life, but now you can't just cheer for the guy in the red and blue because the guy in the red and blue may not be the good guy. And that whole conversation, that whole conflict with him and Miles on the train, which I thought was a really fantastic set piece, by the way, great action set piece. Miles says, Miles says, I don't play like that. That's not my thing. I'm out of here. And it leads to the, you know, obviously the ultimate conclusion. But we are left going, well, who's really right at this point? And I love that. I love that we're left with this ambiguous, is Miguel right? Just like, is Thanos right? Because he kind of is. He kind of has a point. And Miguel kind of has a point too. So I think that you take a play out of the MCU playbook, but you put it in a, in a, in a movie like this that feels completely appropriate. The thing that that Miles wanted to get to, the thing that Gwen wanted to get to, being a part of this covert team, Miguel was actually trying to keep him protected by saying, look, I'm trying to protect the universe. If you knew about this, then you would know that ultimately your dad's going to have to die. And I know that you're going to prevent, you're going to try to prevent that and you're going to screw everything up. And so there's this kind of protective strategy of him, uh, Miles, and this protective strategy of the entire Spider-Verse that kind of makes Miguel come across as somewhat noble. And so I was less sort of kind of in an ambiguous place, which I kind of enjoyed. Agree wholeheartedly with all of that. In fact, I called this the Infinity War of animated movies. And I think that not only because of the ending, but because of Miguel O'Hara feeling like almost kind of Thanos-esque in his approach to how to manage the multiverse. I think it shows us a couple things. I mean, obviously... There there are layers of meta text going on with using the word canon events. I thought that that is a just amazing choice because of how important canon is in comics, how important canon is in movies like this, how much how much people get like very wrapped up in it being maintained. And this is a movie that's trying to mess with that. And now you're going to write it into the plot. The idea of simply fate and can we mess with our fate or should we accept it? Do we get to choose to be who we want to be? I mean, there's, that's what miles wants to do. Miles doesn't want to just be what everybody else's Spider-Man has been. He wants to live his life and make his choices and deal with the consequences of them, which 
I think we would all on the surface say that we want. And then there's this element of bringing into it basically the conversation we had, whether it was last week, I can't remember, or the week before about you hurt my feelings and the fact of they don't trust Miles or they don't trust these kids because he's a new Spider-Man. And so they're not telling him the truth. So all of this stuff happens before they get to the point where they're willing to actually tell Miles what is going on. Like they don't just bring him to Nueva York and explain everything. They try to work around it and secretly keep things the same without him knowing what's going on instead of right off the bat sitting down and Gwen going, here is the deal <laughs> or somebody in charge, whether it's Miguel O'Hara or somebody, you know, that he's having give the conversation. They wait and they wait and they wait and they let things get worse until they do that. Like, why wouldn't you immediately go to the person when you knew what had happened and let him know, say like, this is, this is the way it works. <laughs> the universe, there's a multiverse. I get that. It's a lot of information. Of course, that's why the answer would be against it. Oh my gosh, it's going to blow your mind. You're like a 14 or 13 year old kid and you're Spider-Man all of a sudden. We can't lay this on you. <laughs> so I love stories like that. There is no easy answer. And while you can maybe disagree with Miguel O'Hara's tactics, I don't know that I do either yet at this point. And I find it very, very fascinating. Um, and I think that there's going to be more loss. I would totally expect that. Uh, and I, and I'm really, really excited to see where they continue to take this twist that they have created by playing with Canon in this way. It, it's, yeah. It was it was it blew my mind to be honest. Like in the, the I loved it. I just was so concerned. Just oh my gosh, this is awesome now. Yeah, same here, same here. As we get to the end of the movie, there was this fantastic misdirection that, as I've seen, as I've said in the podcast, I don't typically get things. I don't get the twist at the end. I have to kind of be told, hey, this is what's going on, and I felt like kind of important, like oh. He's getting thrown back to a universe that's not really his, but the misdirection here was fantastic because he gets thrown back and it's raining in New York. And then Miguel and Gwen and everybody else go after him to a New York that's raining. And it's not until we see that his dad is not alive in a particular universe. And we see that Gwen goes into an empty bedroom that he's not in and a different universe that I go, oh my gosh, what's happening here? And there's no watch on his wrist, so he cannot get back. The movie absolutely leaves us with probably one of the biggest jaw drops of animation. And it, I knew in my head, I knew that this was part two of three or part one of two, you know, whatever we're calling, because this feels like a deliberate end of one part to lead us into the beginning. And it, it raises an interesting question because as I mentioned earlier on the show, my frustration can lead to, or my son's frustration and his friend's frustration, they said, I liked everything but the end. And I think it was because it didn't resolve. Because as a 10-year-old kid, you're used to movies that and stories that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we have these movies that exist. I'm looking at you, Dune. I'm looking at you, Dead Man's Chest. <laughs> that... Whether they tell us or not, 
they deliberately finish with a conflict not resolving. Usually it's the big one. And it'll say end of part one. I mean, Back to the Future part two is the exact same way. You know, it says to be concluded. You know, you go off and you you end up in the in the old west. And in some ways that's good. In some ways it's not. And I, I, I sort of have a problem with it because I want my stories to have completeness to them. I want I don't want them to feel like they're just a really long trailer for a third entry dead man's chest felt that way to me this one sort of did i can forgive it though because i'm excited about how it's going to resolve i don't know what that's going to be back to the future part two knowing that there was a part three had a beginning middle and end but it left you with a oh here's the next adventure this did not do that we clearly have problems that got set up and did not get solved and so i wanted to ask you what are your thoughts on these sort of setup movies? These movies that clearly have a plan to finish what they started in a follow-up entry and don't necessarily resolve the main conflict in them. Well, I don't understand the Dead Man's Chest one, but I don't want to get into it. I'm going to have to go back and look. I just rewatched the series and and to me it was it's more like a complete adventure, but the point is the same regardless. Like Dune is one of these and I feel like we've gotten several other ones like this. And frankly, Infinity War is another one that is like this, where we have a movie and it ends on a truly massive cliffhanger. And there is a difference, like you said, between a story of A to B and a tease, and then an A to B that ends with a cliffhanger. Now, I have absolutely no problem with it when it's done well. And I believe in Infinity War, Dune, in this case, it is done exceptionally well. I have no problem at all with it because I felt like I went on a two and a half hour adventure that was exhilarating, that was interesting, that was emotional, and that was dramatic, and that was full of character growth and development. And you have left me with the end of essentially one level of kind I, I I honestly I feel like you've left me with a situation where there is one miles and now he is a totally different person now because everything is going to be different and has to be dealt with and I just don't see it as a problem because I guess because I knew as well now what I will say is this Patrick I think that both this movie and dune, and maybe even Infinity War to an extent, I think when you don't market it this way, it can be more jolting for people that aren't necessarily fully aware that these things are two pieces. Like, I went into Dune knowing that there was going to be a Dune 2. I knew that it was part one, even though... It didn't call it that. I knew. So I wasn't surprised when we were only going to tell half the story. But somebody who is just going to see Dune (laughs) is going to be like, what? And that is just a complete, it takes the wind out of your sails at the end of your experience. So I understand that. And I think that can happen here too, because people aren't realizing that it was built to be this trilogy and that there is this next 
piece of this particular arc that is going to be told. I did know that. But if you don't know that, yeah, it's it's kind of like, huh, what is what is going on? But ultimately, man, I just think that for me, it's done so well and it is it leaves me with such an absolutely incredible feeling to want to see more and to feel like my characters have changed and that I guess that hero shot to me is the end of like a movie to me. That's, that's a perfectly acceptable end of a movie. You have gone through an arc of a story and the world has changed. And now you have a team versus a team. And this is all the stuff that happened in between to make the world change to where this is what you're going to have is these two conflicting superhero teams. And now the next movie is going to deal with said conflict. And yeah, I, I don't know. I get it. Like I said, I would never fault you for feeling the way and feeling a little bit like cheated by that. Well, but I left like salivating and I immediately picked up my phone and was like, please don't be 2025. Please don't be 2025. Please don't be yeah. 2025. So I, I think that you make a, a solid point and I agree with about 75% of it. I left the theater going, I'm ready for the follow-up which is the intent of what the creators are giving us. Where I think I have uh, the biggest struggle is that apart from the stinger during the mid-credits of the first entry or the end, because I don't think (laughs) you should not tell me there's going to be a sequel. If you're going to do it, do it, do it in the movie. I think it's a cheat to put it in the middle of a credit sequence to say, oh yeah, by the way, there's this guy, Miguel Oera. Yes, I was excited about it. When I think about a teaser, I think, okay, yeah, that could happen. And if it doesn't, that's okay. The reason why is because Spider-Verse, the first entry is the Spider-Verse, beginning, middle, end. I'm fine with knowing that there's a multiverse out there. I'm fine with knowing that Gwen may not ever see Miles again. Because the story was about Miles coming into his own, becoming the Spider-Man, defeating Kingpin. And he did that. Where my where my my problem comes in is that, you know, you didn't you left for a 10-year-old kid who doesn't read <laughs> who doesn't read screen rant and who doesn't read IMDb and know that this is part 1 of 2 and i need to call that part 1 of 2 they're calling it a trilogy yes it's a trilogy because it's part of this multiverse spider-verse event thing but it's part 1 of 2 because it doesn't need the previous entry to stand on its own i mean we i think that's part of the benefit of that slower burn one hour is that we got introduced to Gwen Stacy who throws us back to here's what happened in the previous entry through stills and through great animation. Cool. We didn't have to experience that. We knew this is what happened. And through exposition between these different characters, we get told what happened in the first entry, but it doesn't technically have an impact on this one or even the next one. And so I think you have this weird kind of into the spider verse. And then over here you have, Parts one and two of you Across do. and Beyond. <laughs> you absolutely, it's one and then a pair. It is not a traditional trilogy. You're, and that's, you're not that, wrong. I, and I think that's where I get a little bit hung up is that compare this to like Fast and the Furious, which you know has its own issues altogether. The movies were never meant to be like connectable. They're not They're not like puzzle pieces. They're like, okay, this, the, the end starts here. It wasn't until you got into like four and five and six and seven that they all started, started threading together. And 
where you have to sort of have that prerequisite of, I need to know what happened in four so I can get to know five and beyond. I can watch one and then watch two. And the connecting piece is a guy named Brian O'Connor <laughs> and that's it. And that's fine. Where I, that And that's what I think when you talk about these entries, the execution of it's going to be great. There's nothing about the movie that I found appalling. Like it just feels like a little bit of a cheat because it's like, I, I you've you've given me all these things and yes you've yeah. resolved some of this stuff but you've left me going ah, ah this isn't resolved and dead man's chest does this to an extent i'm not gonna get into that necessarily but it does it at the end like okay this thing that we were dealing with at like the last 15 minutes of the movie we're definitely not going to resolve this and you got a guy eating an apple saying hey i'm back now we're gonna go did it leave me wanting to watch the third one absolutely it did not negate my experience of the second one but i left i specifically remember leaving the theater that of that viewing going okay well that was a great long trailer to get us ready for at world's end great i'm excited about that it didn't i didn't hate the movie at that point yeah. it just it's that kind of like uh, you thought this was just going to be another adventure with with jack sparrow nope it's actually going to be a two-parter and it, i thought that's the title. that right there yeah it's the title it, it, it this is batman the dark knight returns it, to compare it to another animated film this okay. is batman the dark knight returns part one and part two that is what this is and if you'd have called this Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 and Across the Spider-Verse Part 2, it would make way more sense. And you're right. It would have set people up for the understanding of what's coming. It would also, and I will not say that this is the right choice, it will have robbed the movie of its feeling that you get when it happens because yeah. you're not fully expecting it. And when right. the needle drops and you don't get that resolution, it is while you're you're right that some people are going to react poorly or frustrated to that. It is always going to be a memorable, emotional, like what moment that you can't get if you know going into it that there's going to be a surprise and you're building up to it. And I think you don't watch it with the same investment for two and a half hours if you know you're not getting the full story whereas if you think it is you you're kind of more plugged in I, I, I would believe so it's psychology and it's marketing and i think you're right to bring it up and and mention that it can not be great for some people well and it can also be awesome you know it's it's a mixed bag it's just a choice <laughs> Yeah, and it's fine. It, I think for the most part, you look at Rotten Tomatoes, people are okay with it being that way, <laughs> for better or for worse. It does not make or break the movie. Like I, I would not have made this if if I would have responded like you did, in that, oh my gosh, I can't. It's Infinity War. It wouldn't have elevated the movie beyond what it was. So it it lives at like this level. I'm showing it, you know, on to people that can't see me, but it lives at a specific level. And because it because it ended the way it did for me, it didn't lower it. But I think if it if I had responded the way you did, it wouldn't have elevated. It wouldn't have been like, that's the exclamation point. It was just something that was like, okay, I knew it was part one of two. And I was trying to figure out, okay, where is it going to... Here's the thing is I, I got a little Return of the King vibe because I felt like, okay, oh, that would have been a great spot to end. Oh, no, no. Oh, we're going to end here. Okay, we're going to end here. No, 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 no. Okay, the hero shot. Okay, there it is. Okay, good. Now we're going to end it. And after, you know, two hours plus, you're thinking, you got to end it sometimes, people. <laughs> you're not going to resolve If you're not going to resolve it, just 
stop right now, you know, <laughs> going back to Don Shanahan's observation. Let's 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 trim it up a little bit, you know, <laughs> with that regard. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a great movie experience. And I think that it deserves the uh, the accolades that it's getting uh, beginning, middle and end, or at least almost end at this point, beginning, middle, middle at this point for me. <laughs> All right. Anything else before we wrap up that you want to throw some love at? I don't think so. I mean, I think that's pretty much it. It does make me want to go back and reread Spider-Verse. It's been a long time and I don't remember many details, but getting to see so many spider people on scene at one time and just being introduced to the spider society in the way that we were, I thought was brilliant. And as kind of corny and lame as it is, I thought some of the cameos were a blast getting to see Donald Glover in a prison cell because he played Aaron, Uncle Aaron and Prow- AKA Prowler yes. in the yes. Tom Holland universe. Yeah. And then getting to see these hilarious like live action pictures of Andrew Garfield crying. I think he was in one of them. I it just yeah, cuz it was like we've all lost somebody and I think it was showing his Gwen Stacy moment or something, but No, it, it was, was when Captain Stacy it was when Captain Stacy Captain Stacy, yeah. Yeah, okay. at the end of Amazing Spider-Man. That's yeah. what it was. And so I I thought that some of those were were great and then getting to see Scarlet Spider, I thought Andy Samberg voiced him and it was hilarious because he was very much the way that I remember the character being, which is really beefy but also like very naive. So he like has this kind of deep voice, but he is aloof and just does what people say to do. Like he's kind of, kind of not his own man. And I thought that he was a great uh, character to put in there because people love Scarlet Spider. And so for them to give him his own little briefest of moments to shine and have some comedy was a lot of fun. And to see a pregnant spider woman, like, that was cool like she was kicking all kinds of butt man Uh, i just the team dynamics i'm so excited i'm so ready i'm so glad that we have these two movies i they're vaulted to the top of my spider-man rankings i mean i love the character and i like all the iterations a lot just like i like all the batmans a lot but this one there's just something special about being able to do it in an animated way things that you can't do in live action. And I think that's opposite for Batman in a Batman live action is a lot easier because he's a normal dude, right? A detective with gadgets. Spider-Man has some abilities and you just can't make swinging look as cool and the same and unique as you different as you can in animated styles in live action. And so I, I'm having a blast with it. It's got me hyped for Spider-Man two coming in the fall. Like it's a video game. Like I just, we're living large Spider-Man fans and I came home and immediately installed Miles Morales and started replaying that game again. Cause I just wanted to be back in the world, right? Swinging around New York myself after watching this. And I want to get back in the theaters and see it again uh, in like a premium format ASAP. So anyway, I, I think it's, the best movie of the year, probably. It's in my top three. I'm doing an episode on that in a week or so, so I'm not going to say for sure where it's going to land, so you got to listen to it to find out. But it is up there, and I think that that is just amazing. Fantastic, man. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Feelin' Film. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation like we have. Coming up next week, maybe? 
it'll be Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Aaron's going to get his early screening access and he's going to let me know if this is worth talking about. Hopefully it is. I'm pretty excited. I am uh, looking forward to getting back into the world of Transformers. And I even got a recent pop figure that lights up of Optimus Prime that makes me happy. So hopefully that'll be coming your way. If not, we'll have something else that's worthy of a good conversation. In the meantime, enjoy what you're listening to. Enjoy what you're watching. Aaron, thanks for a great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.